Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and producers of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Thomas Schumacher. Some theatergoers might not know his name because all his work is done behind the scenes, but everyone is sure to know his shows. That's because he's the president and producer of Disney Theatrical Productions, the stage division of Disney that's behind some of Broadway's biggest hits. And not just Broadway. There are currently 21 professional productions of Disney shows running around the world of titles including Aladdin, Frozen, and of course, The Lion King, the Tony winner that's one of the biggest global hits in Broadway history. Disney Theatrical turns 25 this year, a quarter century after Disney made its Broadway debut with Beauty and the Beast back in 1994. And Schumacher has been there since the beginning. He's here in the studio with me to take us all the way back to the early days and give us a backstage pass to Disney's Broadway ride. And let us in on what's up with that Beauty and the Beast revival. Hi, Tom. Thanks for being here. Here we go. <laughs> so, happy 25th birthday to Disney Theatrical Productions. What do you do to celebrate? Well, what we do to celebrate, I suppose, is just get back to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting moment because it lets other people who were there in the very beginning at Beauty and the Beast when it opened in April of of uh, 94, it lets them go, oh my gosh, it's 25 years. And that makes you reflect not only on what's happened in New York, but what's happened around the country and what's happened around the world right. as literally right in front of people, this this business was created and grew. Right. And uh, you mentioned how New York has changed. Times Square was a completely different place in 1994. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, and, you know, for better or worse... We um, we came into town when Times Square was mid-transition. Right. right? It was so, almost there, right? Yeah. Well, Bob, uh, uh, Bob Stern, Robert A.M. Stern, the legendary architect, yeah. and a group of people who formed um, Times Square, 42nd Street Redevelopment, and the Times Square um, uh, groups, They yeah. he lobbied Michael Eisner, who was our then chairman. And Bob Stern was on our board. Right. And he told Michael, there's an opportunity here. And so without a plan for Disney Theatrical, without any of this in mind, we committed to restoring the New Amsterdam Theater, which is, I think, inarguably the most beautiful theater functioning on Broadway. I, I, I don't know how you'd make a claim otherwise. Only the second theater on Broadway to have electricity, even. Oh. And by saving that building through enormous tax credits right. and enormous expense from the company, 
that was our first foothold into saying 42nd Street could transition, and everyone else followed there. I did not know that was pre the idea of Disney Theatrical. That's, yes. That's yeah, that predates. And then in the same roughly time period, right. um, when Beauty and the Beast opens in 1991. Beauty and the Beast, the film, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, the film, opens in 91. When the theme parks were staging their events, Robert Jess Roth, my pal Rob Roth, yep. staged a version of Beauty, the big rubber head kind of version. Sure. Um, in one of the versions, Stephanie Block was playing Belle, by the way. Oh, Tony nominee Stephanie Block. Indeed. Yeah. And um, anyway, that was in the parks. And be, don't forget, we were a tiny company then. Right. When I say tiny, probably... You, Disney Theatrical. Yeah, yeah. $9 yes. billion dollar company. Sure. Today, it's a $240 billion company uh-huh. or whatever. And so because of that, the chairman, Michael Eisner, spent tons of time in the parks, tons of time with everybody in all all areas and Rob pitched to him the idea of um, of taking the Beauty and the Beast animated movie and adapting it for the stage mm-hmm. in a very kind of traditional way and that's what happened right. that opens in 94 because there's a story right that at some point Frank Rich writes an article about how the best Broadway musical score of 1991 is the animated Beauty and the Beast. There's a story that that inspired Disney theatrical. Is that how how true is that? Well, a it wasn't a story. It was a radio interview. Oh, yeah. Um, and he did in fact say something like that, never intending that the shocking impact would be that we'd end up on stage. <laughs> right. Since Frank was never a big supporter of what we did on stage. No. Um, never has been. Won't be. God bless him. But. <laughs> Um, it, it didn't inspire anybody, actually, yeah. just the making of it. But I think it gave people a sense that probably actually played more into the fact that Beauty and the Beast, the movie, was nominated. It's the only animated film in history nominated for Best Picture. Right. And I suspect what Frank did, the biggest impact, was elevating the status of the movie as opposed to positioning it for the stage. But I think these ideas get conflated often. Right, right. And so, how crazy of an idea did it seem at the time? Well, I think to most people here in town, it seems silly. Why would a big well, yeah. company come do this? But don't forget, we were producing movies that cost vastly more right. than what it would cost to do a musical on stage. So why not? Right. And I think the wonderful thing about those early Eisner years and the Frank Wells years, when Frank was president and Michael Eisner was chairman, that they would try anything. We, we bought a hockey team, an right. ice hockey team, right? right. We, we had a sports stadium. That was the Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks, right? yeah. named after a silly, you know, G-rated family movie. Yeah. But they were doing lots of things. They actually invented essentially the Google portal before Google did. It was called the Go Portal. Mm. And then they couldn't figure out how to monetize it, so we shut it down. <laughs> Not realize it's called the Go Portal. And in fact, still inside the company, you'll see some um, addresses will say, you know, .go.com. Right. And right. because the Go Portal was a thing. We, we oh. were playing with lots of stuff. This is, you know, we were opening up parks around the world. Right. All these things that are taken for granted today, this massive expansion. It was try this idea, try that idea. Right. It just happened that buying a theater seemed like it might be interesting. Right. Everyone will try to retrofit this idea into their own strategic plan and try to explain to you what the big wisdom was behind it. But it was it was a lot of pasta on the wall, right. <laughs> which, by the way, nobody in Italy has ever done. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so the industry, you, you alluded to this a little bit, the industry when Disney was coming in was skeptical at first, I think it was fair to say, yeah? I think I actually know I'd say it was disdainful. Yeah. And... What was why and what was the turning point? 
Well, why? You know, now that I've been part of this community for so long, I'm chairman of the Broadway League. Yes. We've done lots of shows on Broadway. We've done lots of shows around the country and around the world. And, and I, I know parts of this community very, very well. And I, I do think that the supposition from people on the outside that to do this is easy right. um, is pretty quick to come. I think um, it's hard for people in the other parts of the entertainment industry to understand the complex web of unions, landlords, audience, marketing, very limited resources um, in terms of the economics of it. You know, you could run, I always say a Broadway show, you could run out of a cigar box. Mm-hmm. You commit, you take a loan from your dad, right? That's your investors. You, um, you, you pay for the show, you pay to market it, you post all your bonds, and then the money comes in and you pay your bills. And if there's anything left in the cigar box, right. you're ahead. Yeah. And it's n- never more than what's in a cigar box. No, there, and, right? yeah. and it's never shifty economics like movies. Right. You, you're not paying for overhead. You're not hiding money. You, it's a straight-ahead thing. And I think for people who've been in this game a long time, and I have so many friends who've been doing this for a very long time, like Paul Libin and Manny Eisenberg and people who've been such great mentors, you know, I think for people like that, they they and people who were, you know, on the periphery even, why would Disney want to do this and what we're thinking of doing? And I think also there's a little bit of a, you know, kind of Pollyanna, Shirley Temple image that we had coming into kind of a rough and tumble business. Right, right, yeah. Um, and when people refer to the transformation of Times Square, which is now, you know, goes out of its way to sort of be friendly for every visitor, including families, they refer to it as the Disneyfication of Times Square. How do you take that? Well, ironically, the only thing that actually was Disneyfied on Broadway was the New Amsterdam Theater, the right. finest example right. of a theater restoration done anywhere in New York. Yeah, and it turned out great. Right? And, and it's the only thing that is, was historically accurate and done. So if you're on, t- if you're on 42nd Street, you know, you can, you can go to the old Julie Nelting Theater, which was which is at the end of the block um, towards 8th Avenue, which is now an AMC. Yep. And if you walk in and face the candy counter and you turn around, you actually see the dress circle of what was Julian Elting's theater. Oh. They turned that into a movie house. We, on the other hand, saved this thing that was melting into the ground. So ironically, the only thing that actually was disney was our theater. Right. But I think what people mean is that we opened it up for the, for the world at large. And if the a more populist point of view would be that we welcomed in people who um, snobs might not want to sit next to. Right, right. You may regret that now and again yourself. <laughs> and so at this point, uh, Disney Theatrical has all these sort of headline activities on Broadway and beyond that people know about, you know, with Lion King and Aladdin and Frozen. But there's always, every time I go into the offices, which is what, 100 people now in multiple Roughly floors? Roughly 120, over. yeah. yeah but, this is in the forget, New Amsterdam building. Yeah, in, inside the New Amsterdam. But don't forget, we're, they're running... Tonight, 21 shows playing around the world. Well, yeah, but not only that, as well as there's all this sort of activity going on with licensing and education that nobody ever really talks about that uh, well, is it, yeah, just I mean, as busy, It's not right? talked about here, but when yeah, we... Yeah, that's what I mean, right, here but, on Broadway. For example, I grew up, you might have, certainly mm-hmm. many people listening to this, grew up doing shows in schools. Sure. And we should say that before you were in animation, uh, you were a theater guy. Oh, I, I grew up in the theater. theater. I grew up in the theater. I, uh, I was a theater major at UCLA. Right. Spent the first five years of my career working at the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles. Right. I managed a ballet company. I produced a big international theater festival working with Peter Brook and people like that. Right. But, yes, I, I did 
oversee 21 animated features at Disney. Right. And raised right. a generation of people to, for the most part, like the idea that people sing their story. Another thing that people might not know about Disney, at least people who are sort of focused on uh, kind of what's happening here in New York and maybe fans who just aren't paying attention, is that some of the shows that might be considered uh, to have had more disappointing runs on Broadway have gone on to be sort of retooled and reimagined. You mean and the flops? quite a bit of success. I, I mean, I wasn't going to say flop, but if you're going to say flop, sure. Well, we um, define flop different. Most people... Well, that's the thing. In Did the old days, a flop was a show that closed on its opening night or during the first week or two. Right. Um... Yeah, we would call a flop something that ran a year and a, a year half. and a half. Yeah, exactly. It's a totally different. But I would metric, say that but. that with a show like Little Mermaid, which um, had was very hot in the beginning and then it, it cooled off very quickly, yeah. um, is enormously popular both in licensed productions to amateurs right. as well as in new productions we've mounted. So we have two companies of Little Mermaid in Japan. We right. have played Little Mermaid professionally in so many places around the world. It's, you know, gigantically successful. And and, and through doing that, in fact, recouped everything from Broadway and right. went into profit. That is something that people probably don't... Because here's the big difference. Normally, in anyone else's model, or almost anyone else's model, a group of investors gather together. They form an LLC, a limited liability company, and yeah. they mount a show. Right. That show succeeds or fails. The general partners, the lead producers, control it with the authors for a period of time, and then it reverts back to the authors. We create these things and own them in perpetuity if they're our, if they're, if they're our IP, meaning that we make a commitment not just for this year, next year, and the year after. We're making a lifetime commitment. So when I tell you that 25 years we announced 25 years after Beauty and the Beast opened on Broadway, we're going to revive beauty, even though it's being done all over the world in right. people's own productions. Um, we will revive it. We will design an entirely new production. It'll look very different. It'll be slightly altered, you know, in text and everything else that we will then open and and be able to do here on Broadway. Years later. I did not announce that it was here on Broadway. <laughs> okay. But I appreciate your pushing that. Yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, it will not open on Broadway. It'll open someplace else. Okay. Do you anticipate it arriving on Broadway at some point? I'm sorry, I'm a trifle deaf in that yeah. area. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you know, because we never announce our plans. I would tell you that because I have a group of extraordinary artists, right, and um, working on it. So Rob Roth, Stan Meyer, Matt West, and Ann Hould Ward, all of who created the original production, right. just presented um, a really glorious reconception of what the show could be. And I, so I would never, I wouldn't pretend it's not Initiated happening. by you or initiated by one of them? By us. Yeah. I went to them and said, I have this idea. What okay. if we all came back together and did this? Right. And I love them and I love working with them. And it's, it's so much fun to be in the room because also they're, the original production's goal was to very much um, emulate the original film, to make things look like the film looked. But we're now free from that, right? right? Um, it's 25 years later, but more importantly, the audience is so sophisticated because they've done so many of their own versions that we can re There's a whole n completely different concept for how we'll deliver it, and there's new dance arrangements and new concepts. But the, I, that idea that we own it and that all these artists will benefit once again from it mm -hmm. is because we own it. So therefore, it's, it, it's part of a catalog that makes sense for us to rethink and put right. back out in the same way that, that we're reviving Aida. 
and right, Aida was on Broadway. Yes. Um, Aida had a beautiful run on Broadway. Heather Headley won a Tony for it. Bob Crowley won a Tony for it. Natasha Katz won a Tony for it. Yeah. Elton John and Tim Rice won a Tony for it. But it's there's a this is a moment in time when we can go back in and re-examine it. Mm-hmm. Take another look at the script, which David Henry Wong did and is redoing. Right. Yeah, we can dig. We can, yeah, we can yeah. dig back in. Yeah. Uh, also for Broadway? I'm sorry, I'm a trifle deaf. Yeah, okay, there. just checking. <laughs> what we've discovered is the, you know, we've done things. We did six companies of High School Musical, right. and you never saw it on Broadway. Correct. I, Broadway is a part of the landscape, but but for us, we have to think globally. Right, right. In the last, let's say, decade or so, Disney has acquired, uh, has become sort of the shepherd of a number of additional enormous, you know, pop culture properties. You've got Lucasfilm, you've got Marvel. How much, how much do you overlap with those properties, and how much are you thinking about or being required to think about Star Wars the Musical? I would say, for the most part, there's no requirement. Okay. Um, for the most part. When we have an idea, and it sometimes would be nutty, so say an idea like Newsies that people right. had forgotten about. It was a failure movie, right. um, and it became this enormously popular um, show that brought together all these young men um, who were having their Broadway debuts, and now it gets done everywhere, right? It's, it's clearly a big hit in schools and what have you. But So sometimes those ideas come up. But rarely is there sort of a put, as they would say in Hollywood, of people say that you have to go do this. Right. There's, there, there might be enormous enthusiasm in an idea that, that we are heavily encouraged to deeply consider. Um, but when you look at all the um, – what Bob Iger, the chairman of Disney and someone that I've known since he came to the company – um, and I, I, I couldn't respect him more. And he's the most extraordinary big thinker who had came into Disney from the ABC side and really is the, the man who engineered and conceived this massive expansion of this entertainment company. Right. Um, but in the brands, if you will, and I use that term, you know, because people know it, not because I love it. Right. But in acquiring Pixar... Right. Which I was, I did, I oversaw which on Lasseter the first five Pixar movies. So I, I'm, I was right there in all those movies. Yeah, right. um, so I know those those really well. But in in getting from George Lucas the Star Wars franchise, right. in um, uh, getting um, from um, from Ike Perlmutter right. the genius who had the idea to go buy Marvel when it was you know like a nothing Failing. property, yeah, yeah, and to sell it for many billions of dollars to Disney and what Marvel has become. Um, and of course, since then, of course, we've acquired Fox and and yeah. all the things that come with 20th Century Fox. Yeah, right. So, so yes, I can go through those catalogs. I was meeting just yesterday with um, a, a, a very important person who came with Fox, mm-hmm. um, and we were talking about titles and things and what's to come, and and their 4,500 um, uh, titles in their film roster that are sitting there. I mean, it's a shocking yeah. library going way, way, way back. Yeah. That you you look for things, but of course. of titles or properties are completely inappropriate for the stage. And you would need to know what about it wanted to be mounted either theatrically or or, um, as as a piece of straight theater or Mm -hmm. musical. What about it wants that? And we love Star Wars and um and, and that both that extraordinary scope and scale of those movies and and you can look at almost any frame of a Star Wars movie and know that it's Star Wars the right. the art direction the styling and JJ and everyone have kept that alive right yeah. but what about that is better on stage now i can imagine a uh, olympic 
closing ceremonies or opening ceremonies scaled production, but those don't run at a profit, (laughs) right? Right. But I can imagine that. I've discussed that at length with some of the greatest artists of our time, but I don't know how that becomes a thing unless you wanted to do a, and I'll come back to this because the the idea of doing some kind of a weird reduction of it. We know what happens when you take um, uh, Marvel characters and um, put them into the theatrical context. Now, we're going to do it again with Marvel characters, but in licensing. So about what happens to Peter Parker, what happens to Squirrel Girl Mm -hmm. in their real life, Mm -hmm. which does not require all of that stuff. And these are plays to be done in classrooms and things. Right, of course. You uh, mentioned your position at the Broadway League. Let's talk a little bit about sort of Broadway overall. So the 2018-19 Broadway season just ended. Big season. It, yeah, I mean, it broke a lot of records. We broke like, records in in, what, in, in in capacity, which would also be known as butts and seats. Yeah. And we broke a record which in money. One might argue is the even more important uh, well, yes, factor because, is the number because of Because the economic, seats, we are right? the only, and I, people could argue with this, and I'm sure they will. 14.77 million theaters, Yeah, so we, we, let's just call it 4.8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, but we, we, um, we, I believe, in entertainment are the only traditional form of entertainment that's actually growing and not shrinking. Right. Um, when you look at things like record sales or DVD sales or linear television viewing or all that, we are, we're actually growing. So not only are we growing economically, which you could just do by jacking up prices, right. but we're growing because more people are actually coming right. into these theaters. And what's Broadway doing right, do you think? Well, I think um, I think variety is extraordinary. The fact Thank that you. oh, sorry, y'all, your fine publication. <laughs> yeah, thanks. How ironic, because I don't find that much variety in variety. <laughs> but um, but uh, for example, that you could see um, George Wolf's production of Gary right now, this wacky Taylor Mac production about what happens after Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, yep. which involves an enormous number of rather comedically structured dead bodies on stage. Mm-hmm. Hard to understand what that is, but, but what George has done with this and what Santa Laquasto's design has done is really shocking what Taylor Mac's play is about, but that at the same time, we could run across town from the same producer, I might add, yeah. um, and see a gorgeous production of To Kill a Mockingbird as conceived by Aaron Sorkin and, and Bart Scher, and to see what how how that piece could be made wholly different and yet completely familiar again. At the same time, I could zoom down to another theater and see a really beautiful production of All My Sons directed by Jack O'Brien, this, you know, classic play that right. many of us grew up on. And that, you know, you that these plays playing that you can see, the choir boy, gorgeous production of Manhattan Theater Club. Yeah. That, Great show. That, that these things we could see. At the same time, there's variety. Like, you could go to Hadestown tonight and see this all-new musical, um, uh, and then you could go see Tootsie based on a film but completely reconceived. You could go see a bio musical like Cher, which is glorious and really, really beautifully done. Um, or you could see Ain't Too Proud about The Temptations. Right? That you could, this, this mix of what's available. The Prom, an all-new musical based on a wholly original idea. Variety on Broadway is 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 so wide that there's something for everyone, both age-wise. There's also something for everyone at everyone's price point, yeah. and and that that's part of it. You started to allude to this, and we almost started to talk about this early on, and then, and then I avoided we went it? another way. Yeah, but did I is, avoid it? No, you didn't avoid it. You just well, said we'll now. come back to it oh, later. Okay. No, I think I think you'll be happy we come back to it because their musical theater has, I feel like, in the last 
generation sort of re-risen in prominence. I feel like people have become more aware of kind of performance and the idea that you could tell a story by bursting out into song. And one of there are a lot of factors in that, but I do feel like one of them is those Disney animated films that helped rejuvenate the uh, animation studio. It's, I mean, it's true of me. I appreciate musicals as much as I do, in part because I love the song Part of Your World so much, and I love how it operates, right? And that's true of now the people who, like Bobby Lopez, who you mentioned earlier, has said to me that how influential those films were on him, and now he's gone on to write, you know, Avenue Q and Book of Mormon and Frozen and all that stuff with his wife. Um, well, let me tell you, because, it, because you might be surprised by this, but the... Of course, you know, Walt Disney never actually made a musical. Mm. Um, uh, Mary Poppins is the closest he comes to a musical. Um, most of his films were films with music. Actually, Happiest Millionaire is a proper musical. But most of them are actually just films with music. I mean, my favorite, of course, is, is The Glorious Lady and the Tramp, yep. where neither lady nor tramp sing a song. No one ever talks about their feelings. You know, the closest you get is Tony the, 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 in the restaurant singing uh, Bella Notte yep. um, while they suck spaghetti. <laughs> um, the, the idea that we could do a proper storytelling musical where the songs turn the corner of the narrative uh, was brought to us by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken yep. for Little Mermaid. Right. And at the time, that was thought to be a soft girl, and please note I used italics and quotation marks <laughs> it's true. in my saying it, because it's thought to be at the time a girl movie and a girl idea and therefore soft and not leading as, a, as, the, as an adventure movie would do back in those days. Right. And it broke out and was a huge hit. Right. And then we were developing, right, right after, you know, right during that same period of time, we were developing Beauty and the Beast, the movie. And it did not have songs. And the idea of putting those songs in grew out of the fact that we weren't telling the story very effectively as a non-musical. And Little Mermaid was about to open. And so while they were at the junket for Little Mermaid, they reviewed Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, the creators of all that music and right. the story of Little Mermaid. They reviewed with, Beauty, with the Beauty and the Beast team how it could become a musical. And uh, I've lately I've been reading essays on this because all the original participants in it are writing a book about Beauty and the Beast, right. um, and and it's through a series of essays. And so I'm getting everyone's perspective on the same thing. But that did change things. And so of course we did Beauty, we did Pocahontas, we did Lion King, we did Aladdin, we did Hercules, we did Mulan. By the time we got to Mulan, there was a fatigue mm-hmm. setting in because we hadn't raised an audience yet to right. love these. Right. What I have now discovered is that these movies are more beloved today than they were then. But today, because a generation has grown up on this, and a generation grew up on all the spin-offs of it, and a generation grew up on VH1 and MTV, we're not the only ones who did this. Right. All these people contributed to that. What's the next big thing from Disney? Theatrical. What's coming? This is a very interesting moment in time because it's not surprising. I mean, everyone knows that we um, are doing some revivals, but also yep. everyone knows that we're developing The Princess Bride. Yes. And there's great anticipation about that, and that, therefore I'll share nothing. Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> so we're, we're working on some new titles, but really we have this responsibility because it's global. So that if there's 21 shows, I think a year from now, um, it'll be 27 yeah. playing, and then the next year it's 38. Wow. We have so right now this summer, we will put a new Lion King tour into production for the UK. We will at the end of summer we put 
um, into rehearsal the Frozen national tour, which is followed by Frozen Australia, which is followed by Frozen Japan, followed by Frozen Germany, followed by I'm not supposed to announce it. So, there, okay. but there's Australia, Germany, Japan, it's all and somewhere else, right? There's a lot of productions, and they just go on four month intervals. Every four months, a new one opens right. until there's like six more out there. Right. Um, we open Beauty this summer in the park. You'll get to see in, in Central Park in the mm-hmm. Delacorte Theater at the end of the season. Um, the public theater will present. Alan Menken and David Zippel's Hercules, which is really exciting. It's 200 people. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. Um, that's part of the public works. It's part of public yep. works, directed by the remarkable Lear de Bessonet, who I've been a huge fan of for a long time. And we've tried to find something to do. She's just so smart. And so we're doing this um, uh, this Hercules, which is it's been fun. Menken and Zippel have written new material. Cool. Um, the cast is really fun. It will surprise you. And I, they keep yelling at me because I keep talking about it in public, and I'm not supposed to. Yeah, but, how but they're all my friends. Yeah, they're yeah. all my friends. So what, it's like right. you go to dinner, yeah. people figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So there's. Yeah. But what's so coming stuff. is we have to just keep working. And yeah. you know, Hollywood is like, what's your next film? But uh, half, you know, half or three quarters of the job is keeping the darn thing running. Keeping the line King going and all those yeah. others. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for being here. Nice. To Happy 25th. Thank you. I, I, yeah. I, I don't feel a day over 65. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Take care. That was Thomas Schumacher, the president and producer of Disney Theatrical Productions, the company behind shows like The Lion King, Aladdin, and Frozen, all three of which are now running on Broadway and around the world. If you're liking what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd be very grateful if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Or tell a friend. That's the biggest thing someone can do to help a podcast grow. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.